We're going to get started in just a minute. But before we do, I want to talk to you about Anchor by Spotify. It is the easiest way to make a podcast with everything you need all in one place. Let me explain. Anchor has tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. When hosting on Anchor, you can distribute your podcast on listening platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. And best of all, Anchor is totally free. This is what I use for my podcast, and it is fantastic. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Welcome to the March or Die show today. Glad to have you with me and looking forward to another fantastic conversation that, uh, uh, honestly, I'm really excited to share with you. Um, so much great information. We'll get there in just a second. But thank you for listening. Thank you for watching. If you're watching on YouTube, I really appreciate it. And I would encourage you as we begin today, and I try to do this every time we have an opportunity to speak If you are listening on radio, thank you for doing that. If you are subscribed to a podcast platform or you're listening on a a podcast platform, please take some time to subscribe there. Very important so that you know when this show comes online. Every Saturday morning, about 7 o'clock Pacific Standard Time, a new episode comes out. want to make sure that you get that right away. And then take some time to go over to YouTube. You can search for my channel there, YouTube, of course, and then search for Jeremy Stalnecker. You'll find my channel. Subscribe to that. This show is there. Other content that I put out is there as well. I'd love to share that with you. And then for all things related to the work that I do, you can simply go to my personal blog, jeremystalnecker.com, jeremystalnecker.com, and uh, you'll find a, a blog. That's where I write. You'll find links to this show, both the podcast and the YouTube version of this show, as well as the other uh, links that I have to various platforms, all of my social media. Everything is there, jeremystalnecker.com, and I uh, really appreciate you taking time to jump over there and check that out. And as always, I remind you, if this is a helpful conversation to you, and I believe it will be, go ahead and take the time to share that. And uh, there's someone that needs to hear today's conversation. This is a a, a bit of a unique conversation for me on this show. And uh, man, we talk every week about principles for moving forward. How do we move forward in life when it seems like everything is falling apart? What do we do? That's a great question to ask because we understand that in life, there will be those moments when everything feels like, at least, it's falling apart. Obstacles, traumas, trials, difficulties, bad people, (laughs) whatever the case, you're going to have to deal with something. And we talk every week about principles for moving forward when it seems like it would be easier to just stay where you are and die. We need to march. But we don't always know how to do that. Recently, we have experienced something in our nation and really in our world that lingers, uh, but I think the lines have been drawn for many people. 
Over the last year and a half or so, we have been dealing with the coronavirus epidemic. That's not new to uh, anyone listening, of course. Uh, We've been dealing with that. And by dealing with it, I mean folks have certainly been impacted from a health perspective by coronavirus. But more of what we're dealing with are the government-imposed restrictions. Now we're talking about the vaccine and who should get it and who should not, the mandates that go along with that. But if you recall, back in March or the middle of March, I guess, the beginning of June of 2020, the mandate from the federal government was that we should stop gathering, that we should stop in a lot of places going outside, uh, that we needed to keep as much distance from one another as possible to slow the spread, 15 days to slow or stop the spread. This is what we were being told. Uh, That turned into what we're now dealing with some year and a half or more later. Uh, That wasn't the end of it. We thought it would be. We thought it was going to be uh, as bad as we were told on television. Things have not turned out exactly that way. We've learned a lot since then, and people are making decisions. The picture is a lot clearer now. Uh, But back then, churches, in addition to everyone else, were faced with the Uh, requirement to shut down. Go online. Everything will be entirely virtual, but don't worry, it will be a couple of weeks. I remember this so well because it was right before Easter of last year, if you recall. And as we uh, got into the Easter season, we were shutting the church down. And uh, this was happening across the country. And again, uh, in good faith, it was believed that this uh, epidemic or this pandemic would be everything we were told, that thousands and thousands and thousands of people would lose their lives, that it was going to be uh, extremely difficult for us to get through and that this was necessary. Within just a couple of weeks, we quickly realized that that was not the case, but uh, so many of the mandates for churches specifically to stay closed, classifying churches as non-essential. Now, many stores and some restaurants and bars and other institutions or organizations were essential, but not churches. And churches needed to stay closed. Here in the state of California, some of the tightest restrictions in the country. And one church stood up and really led the way for many others. Now, I know a lot of churches did the right thing. This is not to suggest that only one church did the right thing. But one very high-profile church did stand up and led the way for so many others. Grace Community Church, led by Pastor John MacArthur, after some time, said we need to get back to church. We need to allow people to come to a place where they can worship and hear the Word of God preached. We need to do this. We're going to do this. And if it costs us something, then so be it. That led to a fight with the county, which led to a fight with the state, which ultimately led to a court battle that ultimately Grace Community won. So much I could say about that, but this was an encouraging time for those in the world who (laughs) care about church and care about gathering and care about doing what God has told us to do. So we look to them for leadership. So much has happened and so many things were learned along the way, and it is an honor for me to have with us today Phil Johnson. Phil is a pastor and elder at Grace Community Church. He's the executive director of Grace to You, which is the radio ministry. They do provide resources, but the radio ministry of Grace Community Church. And he's here to talk about some of those decision points that were made and really to help us understand how to navigate uh, difficult times and navigate situations like the one that we've been through. This is an extremely helpful conversation, and I trust that it will be a blessing to you. Phil Johnson, thank you so much for joining me today. Really honored to have you on the show and uh, thankful for the work of Grace Community, of course, and yours uh, as the executive director of Grace to You and all the work that you guys do. 
Um, so much I'd like to talk to you about, but specific today to our conversation, uh, I'd like to talk about what the church has recently been through with the state of California dealing with the COVID restrictions over the last year and a half or so, and, and some specific questions. But before we jump right into those specific questions, maybe you can give us an overview of what the last you know, 15 or 18 months have looked like. Ultimately, the church won in court, but there's been a lot of, uh, there have been a lot of things along the way that have had to be addressed. Can you just give us an overview of that as we begin today? Right. You know, when the quarantine was first announced, uh, it took place here in California anyway on a Friday. And on the previous Thursday evening, we had a regularly scheduled uh, elders meeting. So we knew that uh, quarantine was coming and that it would affect the church. And we had a lengthy discussion that night about, uh, you know, can we close the church? Uh, can we abstain from meeting for a few weeks? They were, that was still at the time when they were saying, just, we need just 15 days to flatten yeah. the curve, 15 yeah. days to slow the spread and, and uh, make sure that hospitals aren't overrun. There had been videos on TV that showed, uh, uh, the one that stands out in my mind was a mortuary in New York City where they were literally stacking bodies. I mean, they, lots of dead people. And then uh, there were, of course, the famous videos from China that showed yeah. people literally dying in the streets, yep. couldn't get into the hospital and, and so on. So we didn't have any real understanding of how significant the virus might be. And so we said, you know, we can, we can for two weeks, uh, we'll continue to have church, but We'll do it by live stream. John MacArthur came into the uh, auditorium and preached as usual on Sunday. There were a handful of us who attended, but just just a very small few. And instead of 15 days, it went on for several weeks. Yeah. And by our next elders meeting, we were saying, it, how much longer can this go on? And, um, you know, what happened to all the predictions about massive uh, waves of dead people. It just wasn't happening. And so we began to discuss, you know, is it really right to turn people away from church? Yeah. Uh, so we instructed the security team not to keep people from coming on Sunday. If they parked in the parking lot and came to church, we didn't stop them. By, by mid-June or so, I think, um, people were beginning to come back in large numbers. Uh, the church wasn't full, but there were several hundred people there. By mid-July, the elders decided, look, we haven't had any significant outbreaks. Uh, there have only been a few people in our church who've even been affected by COVID, and, and only maybe one couple that had a serious enough case to be uh, hospitalized. And so uh, we decided as a group of elders, look, you know, this can't go on forever. And Caesar is not the head of the church. Christ yeah. is. Right. We are to render to Caesar that which is Caesar's and to Christ that which is Christ. We cannot render to Caesar uh, an authority over the church that rightfully belongs to Christ. And uh, one of the commandments in, in Scripture, and, and therefore it carries the authority of Christ, is don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Yeah, and so right. by the end of July, we we more or less announced that, look, we're going to go back to having church as usual. If you want to socially distance and and wear masks, you're free to do that. There'll be a tent in the parking lot and uh, people can meet out there uh, who, who might be afraid of the of the virus. On the very first Sunday, the church was absolutely packed hmm. with people shoulder yeah. to shoulder. 
most of them, the vast majority, I would say 99.9% .9 of them unmasked and unafraid, singing hymns. Yeah. Uh, about the time the governor was saying, um, you know, you shouldn't, you shouldn't be singing because that spreads the virus faster than, than whatever. But at the same time, you, rem you remember all summer they had had large demonstrations in the street. Yes, that's there was right. a famous uh, video of Hollywood Boulevard. I think it had been taken by a drone from overhead, just loaded with several thousand right. people. Right. Uh, packed shoulder to shoulder. And we figured if you can have a political demonstration and the casinos were open and yes. the striptease clubs were open, the church can't be deemed unnecessary uh, with all of those things going on. And so we decided, look, we're going to obey God rather than men yeah. and began meeting again. And of course, uh, the government, because our church is large and fairly visible, various government agencies began to sort of crack down on us. Mm. Uh, the county, and it was the county health department that was tasked, I think, with enforcing all of the, all the rules and restrictions. And they were voluminous. I have, a, I have a, uh, an article that I wrote that is at my old blog, Pyromaniacs, that you'll find, that answers the question, why can't you just follow the rules and meet outside in a park somewhere and, and all that? And so I documented pretty carefully why that would be impossible for us. There isn't a park large enough with enough the right kind of facilities to host a crowd like our church. And there were restrictions piled on restrictions that applied to churches that virtually made it impossible. I mean, not just virtually, literally made, yeah. would have made it impossible for our church to gather and worship. And so we said, we can't, we can't submit to this kind of tyranny and uh, began to meet anyway and of course that that provoked a lot of news coverage and the lawsuit and so the church had some attorneys who who said fine let's let's settle this in court and one of the things they did was uh ask to depose the county health officials mm -hmm. so that they would have to testify under oath about what was really going on and so the county delayed and delayed and delayed and finally settled the case without going to court, settled it in the church's favor. I think my own personal opinion is that they did not want the experts to be deposed, to have to testify under oath about what was really going on, because as most reasonable people can see, the media and the government and uh, um, Dr. Fauci and everybody who's been involved in this, has changed their stories repeatedly and told us things that are not true, told what they would call noble lies, uh, but they simply proved themselves untrustworthy. And to force them to testify under oath was more than they could possibly endure. And so they settled the case. And uh, once the case was settled, um, we, we've been able to meet as usual with as far as I can tell, no, no further harassment from the government, even though California is still imposing varying, varying restrictions and, you know, harsher restrictions as time goes. Right. So far, it hasn't affected Grace Church. One of the things the county did along the way was to, to as a sort of vindictive move, I think, to punish the church for meeting, part of our parking lot is a paved area that runs alongside a, a large 
drainage ditch in Los Angeles. They refer to it as a river, but it rarely has water in it. It's a it's a wash. It's a concrete sluice that drains off yep. heavy rains. And the county owns that property and an easement on either side of it. And they have for years leased those easements to the church because there's nothing else you can do with it. And it's striped and part of our parking lot. And so they said they were going to withdraw the lease on that and fence it off so that we couldn't use it. And that would have taken away several hundred parking spaces from the church. And the court stepped in at that point and said, you know, this is purely a case of vindictive harassment against the church. <laughs> right, right. You cannot do this. And so when the case was finally settled and one of the things the county agreed to was uh, to extend that lease in perpetuity. So now the church has, has, uh, you know, a solid hold on those parking lots. So yeah. parking spaces. So it, it actually has come out pretty good for the church in the long run. Uh, it's such a, an interesting story and it's been fun. So I live here in Southern California as well. I live in uh, Southern Riverside County. Um, the church that I attend actually is in San Diego County. And so there are still some churches right now in San Diego County that are entirely virtual that haven't gone back. Um, yeah. But when gra- as well. It, it, and it's, it's unbelievable. But during that process of time, when Grace, when Pastor MacArthur said, uh, it's important for us to go back to church, that emboldened a lot of other folks. And, and sometimes you just need someone to take that first step. Uh, how, do you, how do you talk about, as a Christian, you know, and, and certainly as a church, but as a Christian, looking at the government and saying, we'll go this far, but there is a line. And I think this is one thing that Christians are really struggling with, not all Christians everywhere, but a lot of Christians are struggling with right now. Where's the line? How do I know where the line is? And and when is it not just okay, but important that I step over that line and continue moving forward? How do you how do you talk through that or how do you address that with folks? Yeah, and it's not a real simple thing. You have to think carefully and and study the scriptures carefully. There are places in scripture where the people of God have defied government orders and been blessed by God for that, you know, starting with the, at the birth of Moses, the, yeah. the midwives refusing to kill the Hebrew children. And then you have Rahab and all sorts of examples like that. Um, you know, Peter's released from prison, not legally. In fact, an angel comes and lets him <laughs> Right, out. right. So there are times when the government must be defiled, and it's most clearly spelled out for us in Acts 4 and 5, where the, where the uh, apostles say, look, we, they're commanded not to preach, and they say, but we have to obey God rather than men. Yeah. And so there are these very obvious things where if the government tells you to do something that is patently sinful or, or directly contrary to uh, uh, any command in Scripture, then you're not, you're not free to disobey scripture in order to obey men. That's, I think, clear to everyone. But there are other situations where the government, as I said, tries to take over rights that belong to Christ. Correct. The government has no right to order or determine the number of people, to order worship in the church, to determine the number of people who can gather. Uh, all of those sorts of things overstep the government's uh, you know, rightful authority. Yeah. Obviously, there are fire codes that that do limit the number of people that can gather in one room and all of that. But to try to curtail the size of a of a worship service, 
uh, and impose restrictions that essentially make it impossible for people freely to come together and sing praises to the Lord. And particularly when you're in the midst of a crisis like the COVID thing, where the original predictions were these dire death statistics that never came to pass. Uh, How long does this go on before the people of God stand up and say, the government has no right to, uh, to, to keep us from freedom of assembly and freedom of worship. I mean, it's built into the constitution here in America, but I would say it's a principle that even transcends the American constitution that we are to render to Caesar only that which belongs to Caesar. We are not to render to Caesar that which belongs to Christ. Uh, And in essence, I, I think the government in a subtle way with all of these restrictions and more and more pressure to, to uh, impose the will of government on individuals with vaccine mandates and mask mandates and all of that, uh, it, it's gotten to the point where, in essence, the government is demanding that we bow to Caesar and yeah. declare that Caesar is Lord. And uh, that's, that's something that Christians have always refused to do. So there's a, a great... Uh, uh, strain of church history that teaches us, look, there are times when it is the church's duty to stand against the government. And those times are actually quite common in the history of the church. I think it's important to note, and a lot of people miss this in this conversation, um, Grace and uh, really every church I'm familiar with back in March of 2020, when we didn't know, as you just described, the images we were seeing and what we were being told, uh, I, I don't know a church that made the decision to stay open in spite of that, it, because there is a compassion. The church is in the community to serve the community, to minister to the community, to love the community. And, and the churches that I'm aware of did what they thought they needed to do at that time to do that. Um, but when it became clear, as you mentioned, again, that the evidence doesn't support what we were being told, it's time to go back to church. Uh, a lot of churches still continue to say, or church leaders continue still continue to say, well, To love our community, we need to stay closed. To continue to have compassion for our community, we need to continue to meet online. And that's been the argument for the last year and a half, and a lot of people still hold to that. I think what we're seeing, though, in places like Canada is that if you don't hold the line, there's no ability to be compassionate because the government will shut you down. Um, Right? How do you address that compassion argument? I think it's an important one to, to deal with. Well, and it cuts both ways. I, I would argue that the prolonged quarantines and restrictions and and refusals to let families right. even stand by the bedsides of their dying loved right. ones, right. those sorts of things utterly lack compassion. This is not about compassion. Right. And I think for Christians to parrot that claim and say, you know, we have to love one another, we have to love our neighbors, uh, is to, to wrench that whole command out of context. You don't yeah. love your neighbors by curtailing worship and, and, and keeping people closed in their houses. That's not an expression of genuine love. Yeah. You know, and there have been, there are times, I think, when it's appropriate to abstain from public worship for health reasons. If you had a contagious disease and you knew it, sure. Sure. Uh, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't go to church. You'd stay home on that Sunday. And right. uh, there have been times in church history when various plagues and afflictions have 
caused churches to close for a time, but never for this long. This right. is unprecedented right. in the history of the world that churches would close and remain closed for more than a year and a half yeah. and still insist that this is necessary in order to show love to our neighbors. It's, it's a kind of insanity that I don't know how anyone justifies it, frankly. It's crazy, too. Christian people, and I, I would say even the unsaved community around us, really needs churches to stand up and to, to be hope and light. Uh, when our church, you know, we went through the same thing, shut down in March, let's try to figure this thing out, see how it all plays out. It's not happening the way they said it was going to. So we had a, a meeting. I sit on our board, had a meeting. We need to go back into the building. This is what we need to do. But there's all of these restrictions. So we're not going to tell people what to do. We're just going to, as you said, <laughs> similar to what you just said, open the doors and see what happens. And uh, people came, they sat down when the song leader stepped up to the pulpit, everyone stood up, sang with all their hearts. And I think that's really an expression too of people's need to be in a place of worship where they can sing praise, where they can uh, hear the word of God preached. And that is the compassionate thing to do. And I, I, I struggle with why we miss this. Um, why is it that churches and pastors in particular have such a hard time or have it, are having such a hard time navigating this? Again, a year and a half ago, it was a different story, but we have a lot of information right now. Why are we struggling so much still to navigate this? Yeah, uh, you know, for pastors and churches in particular, I would say it's rooted in a, a really poor understanding of biblical ecclesiology and the role of the church. To me, the most offensive thing about the entire uh, COVID crisis was when the state of California and many other governments classified churches as non-essential. Right. They said this is non-essential. And in the meantime, they're letting gambling casinos yeah, and strip right. clubs and, right. uh, you know, Costco stay open. Of course, that's <laughs> essential, but the church isn't. And and whereas I would say, you know, when people are smitten with with an ex exaggerated fear of death, there is no time when the church and its ministry is more essential. Yeah. Uh, so out of all of those things, I would I would argue that the church is more more essential than all of them certainly more essential than most of the government agencies that, uh, you know, that keep cropping up. So um, that to me, that was an offensive thing. And I think it was when I realized that, look, we keep getting classified as non-essential while the businesses that are allowed to, to stay open and continue to work are, are clearly non-essential, you know, yes. how, how could you possibly argue that a, a gentleman's club is essential, right? Uh, and yet, in effect, that's what the, the laws were saying. And so um, that, that, I think, more than anything motivated us to say, no, look, we have to obey God rather than men. We cannot let the government define right. the importance of the church. The church belongs to Christ, and he has defined and his word has spelled out the importance of the church. And, and to keep it closed while all, all these other things are going on, is a sin against God, and we're not going to participate in it. That's great. Um, last question, Phil. This will certainly not be the last issue that the church or Christians have to face. Uh, life is becoming more confusing all of the time, it seems. We still will have to figure out how to navigate whatever the next thing is. Uh, what would you say to people as they look down the road and prepare? You know, we don't know what the next thing is. We're still in the middle of this coronavirus thing. We've got 
the vaccine issue. We've got <laughs> our current administration. We've got plenty to worry about, but something else is going to pop up. That's church history. Uh, what would be your advice to to church leaders and Christians as they look down the road to some unexpected issue they'll have to address? Yeah, I would say evangelicals in the Western world in particular uh, don't have a realistic understanding of what it means to take up your cross and follow mm, Christ. Yeah. Uh, and it, partly because we've lived in an era of history that is really unusual in the scope of all church history, where the church has not really faced significant persecution yeah, uh, from the government or even from society as a whole. That's changing, and it's changed dramatically just in the past 15 years, hmm. uh, and it's probably going to get worse. So we do need to brace ourselves for persecution and realize that just because someone says, well, that could get you arrested. You might be put in jail for that. That's illegal. You can't disobey like that. Yeah. You, you look at church history and look at the number of godly men who not only spent time in prison for their faith. Sure and for their faithfulness, but the number of people who've given their lives for far lesser things than, than you know, the, the truth that the church should be open and meeting and worshiping freely. Yeah, that's great. Uh, Phil, where can people follow the work that you're doing? I know you're um, the executive director of Grace to You, so maybe there's some other places that you'd like to point folks to. Yep, our website is gty.org, and there's a ton of resources there, so uh, plan to spend some time and look around. <laughs> and uh, my personal website is Romans45.org. It's all one word, Romans45.org. Uh, and there, there are links there to pretty much everything I've ever done on the web. My blog, uh, the Spurgeon Archive, the Hall of Church History. Those are, those are basically my websites. Uh, my Twitter feed is there. Uh, so it's all there. Phil Johnson, thank you very much. Really appreciate the time and uh, incredible conversation. Thanks for all you guys are doing. Thank you. What an extremely helpful conversation with Phil Johnson. Uh, man, just so thankful he would take the time to talk to us today. So much to be learned. And we look for leaders. We look for leadership. And in so many ways, for so many people across our country, certainly here in the state of California, Grace Community Church, provided that leadership, and we're grateful for that, thankful to them for doing that, and thankful that Phil would kind of break that down for us. What does that look like? What are those conversations that are had? How are those decisions made? And then how can they be applied uh, be applied to our lives as we navigate some of the very same things? And we need to know the Word. We need to be solid on what Scripture says and be very committed to doing what God wants us to do, even when it seems like the rest of the world is telling us to do something else. And really, that's the conclusion. When we talk about march or die, when we talk about pushing forward, when we talk about uh, going forward, when it would be easier to stay where you are and just kick it into neutral and not deal with the obstacle in front of you, we have to be committed <laughs> to doing the thing that God has called us to do. As a church, God has called and created you to preach the word, to provide a place for worship, to minister to a community. That must be done, regardless of what others are saying around you. In our personal lives as Christians, we need to be just as committed to doing what God wants us to do. And uh, man, what a great conversation. So thankful for Phil thankful for Grace Community Church and Pastor MacArthur and uh, the great work that they continue to do for many, many, many years and continue to do that on uh, really 
for God, uh, but in many ways representing us and on our behalf. Thankful for that and uh, grateful for that conversation. Thank you for watching. Really appreciate it. Thank you for listening. If you're listening, if you're listening and not watching, go over to YouTube and uh, you can subscribe there. Really appreciate it. And I will remind you, as I do every week as we sign off today, in life, the difficulties will come. The obstacles will present themselves, certainly. There will be times when it feels like your world, your life, your circumstance, your situation, your relationship is out of control. And when that happens, you need to make a decision. Thankfully, there's only two ways that you can really go. A lot of nuance, perhaps, a lot of things that can be done within those two decisions. But you need to make a decision. Will you stay where you are and die? Or will you march? Putting one foot in front of the other. Thankfully, the decision is always yours. Thank you. I'll talk to you next week. Have you ever considered yourself a messenger? I mean, you are called by God, and aren't we all praying the big prayer, Here I am, Lord, send me. So if we put two and two together, you've got a message to deliver, my friend. Whether it's mics like this, bookshelves around the world, stages to take, art to make, or businesses to build, it's time we start testifying truth, unashamedly, creatively, and in love. My name is Tamara Andress, the host of the Messenger Movement Podcast, which is designed to catalyze Christians to speak, write, build, and testify. I use my mic like a machete, so if you don't like to get your toes stepped on or pushed off cliffs to finally jump on in with Jesus, I may be too much for you. But if you're ready to turn your message into a movement and want to run with other messengers doing the thing at scale globally, search and follow the Messenger Movement Podcast on your favorite podcast platform or lifeaudio.com today.